Alright, well, if you hadn't listened to last week's episode, make sure that you do. That way you can hear... <laughs> that way you can hear the attack from our <laughs> neighbors on the St. Augustine grass right next oh to the window. Goodness. We're Just, talking I, divine attributes yeah. of God and the mowers flinging St. Augustine everywhere. As if we aren't doing the work of God in here and your neighbor has the audacity to go out there and i mean it's it's friday we're, uh, we're recording it's, that was it's pod that day. was the most satanic yard work <laughs> <laughs> we just <laughs> the devil the devil's at at work out there in the in the grass oh man well it's good to have you uh back with us uh, we're the reformed informants and this is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition systematic theology and practical application for the good of the church I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ Darty. We're back at it. Theology proper. Theology what, proper. This is number three, right? I think, yeah, we're in episode three. We've done uh, the first one. First episode in this little mini series was on the being of God. We uh, discussed the names of God, and uh, and then we took a, a a whole episode to just very briefly look at. Just, just <laughs> touching on the attributes of God. I think you and I both felt like. Do we feel good about that episode? I, you know, there's just <laughs> there's just so much that was left unsaid, and I think it's just it's important to keep moving forward. Otherwise, we would never make our way through systematic theology. So yeah, we, we can't get bogged down. Yeah, I think I think we we're bummed uh, because uh, there was so much to discuss and so much to talk about regarding the attributes of God. But yes. you know, we just kind of se- selected a. A couple yeah. here and there. <laughs> you just don't feel like you've done justice to talk about the attributes of God and not really even open up several of them. Just kind of say them in passing. But we we want to keep moving forward so that we don't um, so that we don't just get slammed up here in the whole concept of just Traffic the attributes. Jam, yeah. Right. Like this is not a podcast devoted to the attributes of God, <laughs> even though that's a worthwhile endeavor. We're looking at. All of biblical exposition, systematic theology, trying to make it practical, trying to make it usable, and not just hone in on those things. So yeah. let's keep moving forward. Yeah. Let's so we forward. thought for this ep- episode we would uh, we would bring something to the table table that's a little easier to tackle. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> what like, you got? After all of that discussion, let's just have something that's like a lot more easy to digest. Maybe something quick. Okay. Um, so I thought we'd do something on the Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what we have for this episode. We're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to try and define it. Um, we'll solve and, all the mysteries of yeah. the Trinity here in, what, 15 minutes or so? Yeah. Should be uh, yeah. quick little car ride and good to go. Look, for centuries, the Trinity has been a mystery, so we're going to clear, <laughs> clear up clear what everybody up. missed <laughs> over the you know last few millennia. Um, yeah, but as we look to tackle uh, the Trinity... Uh, I think there's a couple things that we want to mention before we get going here. First off, and I, I just really think that we need to emphasize that when we are studying the Trinity, look, we're using the same hermeneutic that mm-hmm. we would use in studying Acts chapter 16 and 17 mm-hmm. or Philippians chapter 4 or Christology. We're approaching the text just like we would any other doctrine or any other category. Right. So we would use the analogy of faith as we discussed, right? Like clear passages would shed light on more obscure passages, uh, a literal grammatical historical approach to the text. Uh, those are driving our hermeneutic. We're not 
attempting to manipulate or manifest something that's not there. We're letting the text speak for itself. Yeah, and, and uh, honestly, you have to let the text speak for itself when you come to the Trinity. It, because, one, we would never teach this. Right. We would never believe this. We would never um, wholeheartedly agree on this if it wasn't what the Scripture actually teaches. Yeah, is it even possible to conceptualize making up this type of doctrine? No. You know what I'm saying? Like no. no no other religion does this because it seems I mean we're we're going to attempt to demonstrate that this is a mystery. It's not uh, absurdity or contradiction, but it seems just absurd. It seems outlandish. Like I I still remember hearing like the VBS song like 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1 and you're going, "What?" you know, like just trying to wrap your mind around it. Yeah, what math is that? R- right. Like it like 3 does not equal 1 and 1 does not equal 3 and we worship one God but worship God in three persons like that. Nobody is going to just make this up. In other words, if God did not reveal himself as such, we would not have a doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So if you if you approach the text um, honestly and humbly, uh, w- with an open mind and an open heart to learn, you will come to the conclusion that the Trinity is taught in Scripture, not just in a handful of places, but we're talking about dozens and dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of passages and texts that um, develop yeah. the, the Trinity, as, as we would call it. Now, some may approach this and say, okay, you're talking about the Trinity. I've had some Jehovah's Witness that have knocked on my door before, and I've had conversations with them out in the driveway uh, multiple times, and they always say to me, when I bring up Christ and the Spirit and God, as far as the Trinity is concerned, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, mm. so therefore it must not exist. Okay, well... Yeah, what do you say back do, to them whenever they say that? Yeah, how do, how do we handle that? Well, look, just because that word Trinity isn't used in Scripture to describe God, Christ, and the Spirit, that doesn't mean that we can't title or give a name mm-hmm. um, to that specific teaching. Um, so I think it's fair to say using the word Trinity is an accurate representation of what the scripture teaches. Right. Even though that terminology isn't used. It's a way of categorizing just like we would do with attributes. You know, is attributes necessarily used all throughout right. scripture? Yeah. I mean, this is a systematic approach, right? Like this is how, and by the way, another, just another testimony of the value of systematic theology. If you don't do systematic theology, you do not develop a doctrine of the Trinity. Like this is a tool that gives us a conception to this doctrine because, like you mentioned, you're not going to read through the Bible and see the word Trinity or a specific development of the doctrine of, of the Trinity within a particular book. Like this, this takes um, reading progressive revelation and diving into different passages and pulling out different. Uh, uh, texts that are related to one another to build this doctrine and see how God has right. in fact revealed Himself. Right, like okay, hypostatic union. Yeah, Jesus there's a Christ. Great example. Right, I mean, there's another example of a word, a term, a title not used mm-hmm. in Scripture, but Scripture does teach yeah, that Jesus Christ. Yeah, the concept. Yeah, yeah. the fully God, fully yeah. man. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's let's jump in. I think that's a, a good precursor to say this is how we're going to approach it. But when we talk about the Trinity, 
um, an orthodox understanding of the Trinity, because we are going to, uh, I think it's important, we have to do, we're going to discuss some of the deviations and some of the, um, you know, heresies related to the doctrine of the Trinity, which there are many and have been for centuries. Um, many. Many. For centuries. For a long time. <laughs> um, and a lot of the same ones that have showed up a bunch of different ways. Um, but when we're dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity, where, how do you define it? How do you describe the Trinity? One God, one being, one substance. One essence. One essence. Three persons. Okay. Okay. We're not saying three gods. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not one God, one God, one God. Mm-hmm. We're saying one God, three persons. Okay. Is there division within those three persons? There is no division right. at all. Right. There is perfect unity and harmony okay. within the three persons of the one God. Okay. So you're saying... I'm already confused. I, well, right. Let's make sure... Okay. I want to make sure that we're clear. You're saying that there are three persons, and for just to expedite the process, we'll say Father, Son, and Spirit. Those are the three persons of the Godhead. So three persons, and you're saying that each of those persons is distinct from the other. In other words, it's not just one glob, right? <laughs> one, yeah. One <laughs> I think that is a, that's of... another theological term, right? Glob is yeah, not in the okay, new... No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think Burkhoff talks about the... <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got my point. Um, no, that was good. Okay. But at the same time, God is also... Excuse me, the Father is also God. Jesus is also God. The Spirit is also God. The same God, not three different gods. Right. That's you, I mean, you've heard it before. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's not God one, two, and three. No. Okay. One God, three persons. Okay. Is that a contradiction? Like you just said, God is one, God is three. Is it, isn't that just... Doesn't that contradict itself? I, I do not think that it contradicts itself because the totality of Scripture argues, demonstrates, and shows that there is no contradiction within that. Mm-hmm. Again, God is not like man. Right. This is a possibility and we would argue a reality because we're dealing with God. Right, right. Yeah, it would be a contradiction. I think you're exactly right. There, there would be, It would be a contradiction to say that that God is three persons and God is one person at the same time. Well, that is a contradiction. Right. That cannot coexist. Or to say that God has three beings or essences and one being. That's not the case. What we have is one being, one essence, one substance, and three persons that coexist. Like those two terms, those two concepts can coexist. It's beyond our comprehension. It is certainly a mystery but it is not a contradiction. Right. So th- I think it's helpful to to distinguish between those two. Burkhoff says that the Trinity is the incomprehensible glory of the Godhead. It's it's beyond human understanding, but it does not contradict human reason. Right. There, there's a difference. You said earlier, God is above us. God is, we are not God. And God is one being, three persons, but that is perfectly consistent with Scripture, with reason, with revelation. Yeah. Look, you can wrestle with that. You can fight it. You can battle it. But what you cannot do is obstruct that, get in the way of Mm -hmm. that teaching. 
because the complete revelation of God unfolds this doctrine, unfolds Mm -hmm. this truth. So if upon first hearing this or trying to understand it, if you're a little uncomfortable with it, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's probably good. Yeah. I mean, if you're uncomfortable with it, it that honestly shows that at least you're understanding. Mm-hmm. You're un- understanding mm-hmm. it. Um, but we want that uncomfortable feeling. We want that uncomfortable maybe idea. We want you to be comfortable with that mystery yes. or, or comfortable with that tension. Because all of Scripture teaches it, yep. and all of Scripture teaches it clearly. And because God is not someone or something that we can fully understand. Because if you could, he would not be God. Right. Like He has to be because he is infinite. He is incomprehensible. Um, now, he has revealed himself and made himself known so that we can get a, a picture and, and a we, we know him. But only later will he be fully known, right? Like only at the eschaton, the end time, that's when we will actually come to an, a knowledge of him. Um, whereas, whereas right now, it's we can't really grasp it. And if you require, if it's absolutely necessary that you fully comprehend and logically order out all of uh, of the divine mysteries, like you're going to be disappointed because you you're not going to be able to fully and adequately grasp this right but instead it should drive us to worship yeah and that's what it does yeah that's right okay Um, so we want to start defining this thing yeah yeah so god is one god is three one being three persons do we start with the trinity or the triune nature do we start with the unity do we start with one do we start with three how do we build because that's what we're trying to do we're trying to show that god is one being that there's one God, but we're also trying to show that there are three persons. Yeah, I, so I, well, I go? think, yeah, that, that's how it's defined. Mm-hmm. So I think we should just go in that order. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some texts. And I think there, again, are dozens that talk about God being one God. So we're not talking about polytheism. We're mm-hmm. not talking about a pantheon of gods. We're not talking about multiple gods. What does the Bible say about God? Well, I, I think the Bible clearly says he's, he's one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Mm. <laughs> that is plain text, right? Like if we're going to do hermeneutics, there's a clear passage for us. There's one God. One. One. And it's straightforward. Um, you you also mentioned, hey, this is how the definition of the Trinity is, that God is one being and three persons. So let's start with the one. That's also how the Old Testament, right? Like that's, that's biblical revelation. So we, we're in Deuteronomy. This is the Torah. This is the beginning, right? Like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like even there, the concept is one God. Like there's a God who has done creating. There's a God who has called Israel to himself. There's a God who has declared to them in Deuteronomy 6 that the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. What what other what other passages might you take us to? Yeah, well... Because that's really convincing, but let's supplement that. So yeah, that, go to the prophet Isaiah. Read through the 40s. Yeah. Isaiah, you know, the yeah. 40s are, are just... A gold mine. Oh, it's a gold. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, oh man, yeah. So Isaiah chapter forty three, uh, verses ten and eleven. Before me, there was no god formed, 
and there will be none after me. Mm. I, even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. I mean, that's God's own testimony. Right. Yeah. There is no one before me. There is no one after me. Yeah. Isaiah 44, the next chapter, he makes the same statement. He says, there is no God besides me. Like that's, there is one God, singular one God. That's, that's important. That is really important. Um, and that's just a cursory reading of scripture. You, that's you right. could just be sitting down at the dinner table, just reading through, uh, you know, Isaiah and you come across those texts those texts really don't need an explanation. I mean, they are that clear. Again, we would argue that elementary kids can at least understand what the text is saying there. Of, of course, course. we're not going to grasp the Trinity. No, but we don't grasp the Trinity. Right, you right. Know? So, yeah, that's where I was going with but, that. But the, the, you're right. The, the biblical testimony speaks to a single God. There is one God. Uh, even in the New Testament, John 17 the, the high priestly prayer, right? Jesus is praying. He says, to, he's speaking to God, the Father, and he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. Like, God is the only God. That's personal testimony from Jesus. From, from Jesus, who yeah. we are going to argue is also God yeah. and is a part of the triune Godhead, that he's the second person of the Trinity. But... Jesus himself makes the statement that there is one God. Right. So if anybody was going to make a claim that there are multiple gods, you would think it would be one who is actually God himself. Right. He, like he Jesus probably would. has a pretty good idea right. or indication of right. you know the situation. And if he if he was trying to distinguish himself from God the Father by saying, Hey, I am also God and but I'm also a God, a different God, a different being, that would have been a great opportunity to do that, and he doesn't. Um, instead he he clarifies and points us back to the fact that there is, in fact, one God. Okay. So, and I, I, th- I think we could talk about this um, in addition to some of the references that we've discussed in the, in the Old and the New. But even the, the common understanding of the Old Testament during the time of Jesus, even by the Pharisees, even by the scribes and... Um, the religious leaders at that time was an understanding of the one true God. Now, this was one of the reasons they were so furious yeah. at Jesus Christ because they understood the claims of Jesus. Well, how could Jesus? How can you forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins, and they were they were talking about blasphemy because Jesus was claiming to be God because they believed in one. God. Well, think about that. That's such a good point. And why are they so hypersensitive to that? Well, look at the history of Israel, right? And Israel has constantly whored herself out, to use biblical language, to other gods. And finally, God says, I told you it was coming, and now you're going to endure the the wrath that comes from your rejection of me as your God. And he sends them into captivity. And they face just incredible persecution and suffering as a nation as they are in Babylonian captivity. And when they are brought back, when God brings them back, it's like they finally learned their lesson. And the guardrails went up. That's what the Pharisees came from. They were guarding the law. They did not want a repeat. They learned the lesson. There is no other God. 
we the 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 Pharisees are saying to one another, like you mentioned, Jesus the blasphemer. Like we know, we know that there's one God. We've we've lived it. We've seen it. We our our ancestry ancestry can take you back to telling the story of God. But we've also lived the consequences of saying there's more than one. So you're exactly right. I think that's a really good point to say that was understood in the Jewish community. Well, yeah. Remember when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he calls him good teacher and Jesus responds saying, there, well, wait, a, there's, only, there's one only one who is good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, th- th- this idea of one God was common understanding and the right understanding. That's right. Of the Old Testament. That's right. And and in many ways, the right understanding even of a tr- of the Trinity that there is one being yeah. or one essence of God himself. Now, if we just stop there, if we just say, okay, God is one, we have no place for Jesus and the Holy Spirit other than to say, you have God, and then you have a really high creature in Jesus, and then you have like this really powerful force in the Holy Spirit, but that's not, that's not a biblical approach. So, where where do we go next? How do we develop the person, the personhood of the three members of the Trinity? What, what do we? How do we actually get to three persons? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we need to assess and analyze those texts that seem to indicate that there are three persons. Okay, and that these three persons are identified all throughout the Scripture as God. So where, where, where would we go? I mean, this has to be, first of all, this has to be a New Testament uh, picture, right? Because prior to, uh, even though you have language in the Old Testament that, that points to this, or maybe we can look back and now see it, it doesn't, the mystery is not begin to be revealed until the New Testament, right? So we're looking at New Testament, New Testament texts, which speak to this because that's when Jesus comes onto the scene. So what, what passages maybe help us to see that there are three persons um, who are part of this triune God. Yeah, it's almost hard to narrow down right, which ones we right. want to talk about here. I mean, even with you know the birth announcement and the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, mm-hmm. referencing referencing Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could go to the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter three. Uh, the Spirit of God is descending upon him like a dove or as a dove, we're told, in Matthew 3, verse 16. Um, and then God's voice comes booming on the scene. This is my beloved Son mm-hmm. in whom I am well pleased. I mean, I don't know how many people God has been well pleased with. Right, in this, right. right? But, well, you mentioned, uh, it's funny, I've, I'm almost going to backtrack on myself here. Because I'm going to take us to an Old Testament text, but you mentioned ah, the birth announcement, yeah. right? Yeah. Isaiah chapter nine. This is the the text which is pointing forward to the birth of Christ. But through the New Testament lens, we can look back and see this. But I think the language here is really, really powerful. Listen to this. So this is the birth announcement, very familiar text, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor well who which person of the trinity is typically referred to as the counselor well that's the spirit mighty god reference there to the father everlasting father and the prince of peace well the prince of peace would be jesus so you have the the triune god 
articulated in one verse there with the counselor, the father, the mighty God, the prince of peace, all three persons of the Godhead, all three, uh, all including names and descriptions of their work and of their person identified together as God. Yeah. I'll back you up a few chapters. Isaiah chapter six. Yeah. Forget what I said about the new Testament. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Isaiah 6. That, that'll be in the second episode, I guess, on the Trinity. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I mean, you're pulling that. Yeah, yeah of course, this is we're the looking through the lens of the New Testament. Yeah, so right? Isaiah chapter 6, before the New Testament, everybody would that would read that text would have an understanding of the, the Lord or God being seated on his throne high and lifted up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God the Father, one God the God, Father, right. one God, one God. Right. Well, we know from John chapter 12... We've got a little interpretive lens here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the apostles uh, giving us their interpretation of certain texts. Well, we know from John chapter 12 that Isaiah was actually talking about Jesus Christ. Right. 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 So, again, you have this one God, but you have distinct persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I, I blame that on you. You went yeah. back to Isaiah, so yes. immediately I'm just like, man, yeah. there's some other good ones let's in kick, there. Let's kick him while he's down. Let me go ahead and just pile on. Um, <laughs> let's go back to the New Testament, like I said, Lance. Um, Matthew 28. Um, okay. you, didn't, you didn't mention that one yet, did you? You talked nope. about the birth announcement in Matthew 3, um, or the uh, baptism in Matthew 3. But the, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 um Familiar text again, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now there's an equation, this formula here with the baptism, where the Father is equated with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, the only way that the Father can be equated with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus is if they themselves are all three part of the divine Godhead. We know there's one God. We've established that. So now, if if only the Father was considered God, well, then how are the Son and the Spirit equated with him? Well, the only way is if they themselves are also God, right? Like, that's the only way that we can get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John 5 says that the Jews were seeking to kill Christ, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, mm-hmm. healing on the Sabbath, right? right? but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Mm. Okay, so again, you see, you see this unfolding here. We, we, we've got now Christ on the scene who is making claims that he is equal with God. Well, yeah. how, how can that be? Just like you're talking about in Matthew chapter 20, how, how can this be? Mm-hmm. Again, one God, three persons. Right, and those persons, as we've mentioned, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, one more kind of proof text that would uh, supplement this. Second Corinthians 13, Paul kind of in his doxology as he's wrapping up the letter, he says that the grace, he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, meaning the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, all three distinct from one another, yet still equated as God. So, the distinction being in their person, their personality, but their equation being in the essence or the being of God himself. Yeah, that's good. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, dozens, dozens of scriptures yeah. that speak on this. One theologian says that there's 32 different accounts, or he actually lists 32 oh, wow. different accounts in which the scripture speaks of three distinct 
persons. Do you think any of those are in the Old Testament? No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to flip back through and and see exactly. Right. But uh, the the reason that we mention that uh, is to show that the Scripture clearly demonstrates again the Trinity. Yes. The, the, the Trinity is there. Yes, and you mentioned this at the beginning. I think it bears repeating. We would not formulate this doctrine unless it was abundantly clear from the Scriptures. Like, this is not—this is like the worst apologetic you could ever formulate if you're trying to, to promote a religious movement, right? Like, okay, you guys need to believe this, and let me make it really believable for you. God is one, but God is three. Like, that's not an apologetic you would want to develop unless it's clear from the Scriptures, and it is. Yeah. And I think that's your point there, to say this is abundant— over and over and over in the scriptures. Okay, so we see three persons. Mm-hmm. Does the Bible teach or declare that each one of those persons, does it declare them to be God? Yeah. That's in other a, words, does the Bible question. say that God is God? Does the Bible say that Jesus is God? And does the Bible say or teach that the Holy Spirit is God? Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, a good question. And if you're going to formulate a doctrine of the Trinity, you have to, you have to approach this. Um, and by the way, I think just for clarity's sake, when we speak of God in general, which person are we typically speaking of? Yeah, we're God the Father. Right, right. Like sometimes we say God, and it seems like, okay, well, do you mean God the Trinity or God the... Well, we speak in terms of the persons of God. When we speak of all three together, we refer to... God is the Trinity or the triune God or the Godhead. But typically we speak of the individual persons because that's how the scriptures speak of God. Right. Right. Like there's individual persons. So when we talk about God, we're talking about God, the Father. And uh, Romans 15, uh, a really important text for developing that. And and Paul says these words. He, saw, he says, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. I love this passage. I actually got to teach on this uh, fairly recently, really, really good uh, passage on the unity that comes in uh, for the church. In verse 6, he goes on to say, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a there's a distinction made between the Father and the Son, but that glory is granted to God the Father. The, the, so that with one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not glorifying angels right. here. Right. Right. This is we're not honoring, God the Father. Yeah. God yeah. the Father. That's right. And there are many other texts. In fact, God the Father is probably the easiest of the three to persons defend. to yeah. defend and to establish. Right. It is assumed. It is um, there, you're going to have a hard time arguing against that one, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not reading the Bible if you're arguing against that point. Uh, yes. I mean, seriously. There's no way to do that without kind of absurd approaches, hermeneutical gymnastics or yeah. whatever else. Like it's it's a Unbelievable gymnastics, <laughs> yeah, like Olympic gymnastics. Right, right. it's straightforward. Uh, so the question then becomes, and this is a, a, by the way, this is an ancient question. This is one which the church had to answer early on as, as Christianity was birthed out of Judaism, because we already had an established religion with one God and God, the father has come to be understood. That's who the one God is. But what do we do with Jesus and the Holy spirit? So can we defend a doctrine where we say Jesus is God 
and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, if we say it, we better be able to yes. defend it. And can we defend okay. it from Scripture? Yeah, I, I think that we can. Um, I was hoping you would say that. Yeah, <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now notice here, in the New Testament, Jesus is called God and Savior. Mm-hmm. Both of those are also attributed to God the Father in the in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? Um, so again, we have Titus, first century Christian here, companion of Paul. Um, Paul's writing to Titus, rather. And he is just opening up the Trinity here. I mean, this is becoming a common understanding as the, the New Testament is developing that Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. Mm-hmm. That's right. Maybe the most, I, I think maybe the most powerful text to emphasize what you just said comes from Colossians chapter 2. We we touched on in the previous episode, Colossians 1, the Ari- Arian controversy and the Trinitarian uh, debate about whether Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. But if you continue through the rest of, of Colossians 1 and roll into chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says that in him, all in t- speaking of Christ, in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, Jesus is God. Well, yeah, really the theme of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ, right. the supremacy of Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, he is packing a punch right. in chapters 1 and 2, developing this. You see the same thing, Hebrews 1 and 2, right? The, the exaltation of Christ as being greater than Moses, greater than the angels. Like, Jesus is preeminent. He is the highest in rank because he is deity. Yeah, he is the image of God, right. the he, icon of that's God. That's right. He is, and, and he maintains his own deity as part of the triune Godhead. And I I don't want us to go down this road because we can't do it, but so often you hear people make the claim that Jesus never directly asserted that he was God. But all throughout throughout the Gospels, yeah, that's the reaction I have. All throughout the Gospels, you may not have those three statements, those three letters or words in a row where Jesus says, I am God. But he says, everything to the Jewish people to say that, right? Okay, well, what we, we talked about it. Yeah, before uh, Abraham was, yeah. I, I am. Yeah, that is direct reference yeah. back to Exodus 3, <laughs> He's right? making the claim that he's Yahweh. Like, that is, that is, you don't, Jesus isn't accidentally, we're not reading some of these things going, well, I wonder what he meant. Like, there's a, like, they're picking up stones. Yeah, like, they, they knew what he was saying. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's no question. Um, Jesus claims to be God. Jesus behaves like God, forgave sins. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is going to really lay that out well, talk about the 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 proving of, of Jesus being the Son of Man. That's, the, that's Mark's goal in writing, that this truly is the Messiah. And he resurrected from the dead. He demonstrates his deity. And then the New Testament speaks of his exaltation. So the case is made very clearly, I think, Jesus is God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> are we comfortable with that statement? I'm really comfortable okay. with that. Can we can we move to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So yeah, does the Holy Spirit does the Scripture teach that the Holy Spirit is also God? Can we defend that? Can we argue that? Can we demonstrate that? Yeah, um, that I think this is the this was the 
most difficult of the three from from church history, from tradition, um, to to get to this position. But it's still plain in Scripture. Yeah. It's still very it's it's so obvious. Uh, my favorite passage to go to is Acts chapter five. Um, yeah, I, I got to preach on this um, sometime back with the the story. This is a familiar text, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They lie, um, and and listen to the way that Luke records this, and he's recording the words of Peter, and he says in verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Well, then a few seconds later. As you're reading through this, you get to the end of verse 4, the very next verse, and Peter says, he continues, you have not lied to man, but to God. So direct connection, direct correlation between the Holy Spirit and God. Ananias, did Ananias lie to the Holy Spirit or did he lie to God? Yes, right? It's like both. both right, yeah. because the Holy Spirit is God. And so it's a direct correlation, a direct connection, an equivalence between those two. That that to me is that's substantial evidence to say the Holy Spirit is indeed God. Where, yeah. What else? What else would you say? Uh, when Jesus in Luke chapter four, when he's in the synagogue and he gets the Isaiah scroll and he begins to read in the synagogue, and he says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and today mm-hmm. this has been fulfilled in your presence." Right? He's quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, he, he's they saying, loved that, by the way. Uh, yeah, they, they were real happy as they tried to throw him off a cliff. Yeah, but he's saying that the spirit, the spirit of the Lord, is upon me. I, I am fulfillment of this uh, particular prophecy. Uh, another reference that I think about uh, to add some more weight to this mm-hmm. argument is in Hebrews chapter three. the The writer of Hebrews, all th- all throughout Hebrews, he does this. By the way, he, he quotes uh, Old Testament texts. We know those texts to be God-breathed, mm-hmm. right? But he says, the writer of Hebrews does, that the Holy Spirit said. And then he quotes from, you know, whatever it is, the Psalms, right? right? right. So now he, he's equating the text of the Old Testament to being written by the Holy Spirit. Well, man, that is, gosh, that is... A big-time claim. So in other words, he's saying the Word of God is the Word of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, because the Old Testament, the, the Lord said, the right. Word of the Lord came to right. right. So all of those things. But now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is being attributed to those words? Right. And wow. Yeah, that's Are we that's, sure that's Hebrews isn't heretical? Right. Like, what is that? Right, of course not, because the Holy Spirit is God. So... To kind of wrap up where we are before we move on to whatever else we need to touch base on, we've established that the what the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity says, right? One being, one essence, one substance, one God, three persons, right? Like, I just want to be clear. I like that. Yeah, three persons. Each person, Father, Son, and Spirit, distinct from the other, separate from the other, but united in the deity, and each person fully God. Fully God. Fully God. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Right. And if so, we have to believe that. Exactly. We have to. Exactly. Now, we've talked about the different persons and, and uh, understood, I think, that each of them is fully God. But how do we distinguish between them? 
Like, wh- how do we not say, as I so eloquently put earlier, that they're just coming from one big blob? <laughs> like, right? Like, how, how do we distinguish between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to say that they are indeed distinct, even though, even though they are still united together in the Godhead. Okay. Yeah. Do, do we want to talk do like physicality? Are we talking about functionality? Talking about roles? What? I, I what was direction? thinking about. I was thinking about roles and functionality, but we can go any of those directions <laughs> okay. because it's. I, yeah. I think it's helpful. I mean, I'm fine with with doing that. Yeah. Um, Wherever you well, want, Lance. I'll follow you. No. Nah. Well, at le- least to, to get us started here, we can talk about the different roles that each person uh, of, of the Trinity. Uh, place um and, and just a way to kind of break into that well did god the father die on the cross absolutely not okay well, yeah right. i mean clearly the the scripture demonstrates that mm-hmm. god the father did not die on the cross mm-hmm. but did god the son die on the cross yeah well yeah that, that would be the lord jesus christ obviously so even even the, in, in that brief illustration you can see that there is distinct roles that each member of the right. trinity uh, that they are playing, that mm-hmm. they are living out. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really good, and we need to be careful with that because only Jesus, like you mentioned, only Jesus dies on the cross. The Spirit is not nailed to a tree, right? Like that's only Jesus. He's the only one who has uh, indwelled, who may, uh, taken on human flesh and come come to the earth. So there is a distinction that is now made between these persons of the Trinity. Um, and... and at the same time, each person has a distinct role or like what is the spirit's role on the earth according to John 14 through 16? What does the spirit do? Well, the spirit calls to mind the things of Christ. The spirit convicts of sin. The spirit leads us into righteousness. Like that's what the spirit does. Judgment. Is it the judgment, judgment the third right, one? Yes, yeah. judgment. Um, and so... You, but that's not that's not the ministry of Christ. Christ had a different role, a different ministry. Um, where where else where else might we see some yeah, of these I think distinctions? We can we can just talk about salvation. Yeah, I think that would be an easy one, one to mm-hmm. probably understand and to kind of flesh out here. But when we're talking about salvation, we would start. I mean, you can start in Romans eight. You can start in Ephesians chapter one and talk about the golden chain of salvation where. God is the electing one. God is the foreordaining one. God is the one that has chosen uh, a determined number of people to be saved. Right. Christ as the mediator. Christ is the one living the perfect life in human flesh and the substitutionary death and et cetera, et cetera. And then the Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates the heart of those that repent and believe in the death of Christ and believe in uh, the work of Christ. Yeah, I mean, you I mean could, that was an overview. I, I mean, no, but you the, know. I think you. I mean, okay, the Father chooses, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. Right, right. Like I think that's a a quick, but it, but it shows the Godhead is active. The Triune God is active in saving. So we can say the Trinity, God, the Trinity saves humanity. God is the one, the Father chooses, the Son accomplishes that salvation by means of the mediation, going to the cross, adopting us as sons, um, by accomplishing that through the work of the cross and his sacrifice. And then the Spirit applies that salvation to our lives. He, The Spirit regenerates us. The Spirit leads us into righteousness. Um, the Spirit seals us for redemption. That's yeah, the and, application. Yeah, and, and they function in unity. Right. 
because it's one God in three persons. It's That's not right. as if, you know, they're just taking matters into their own hands right. here and trying to find another means of salvation. Or they're not fighting against one another or saying, oh, what did the Spirit do? Let me make sure I do this because he didn't do that. Like, it, it's a it's a unified, salvific ex- activity of the triune Godhead. But that... But that but that's God. That's, that's his right. character. That's, that's right. his nature. That's right. There's no contradiction. There's no change in plans. There's no, you know, changing in character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all accomplished by the, the, the one true God. Right. In three persons. That's the yeah. Trinity here. I mean, that, we're back around to the Trinity. That's the beauty of that. Um, okay. As we, we kind of, I want us to wrap up. Uh, and b- but before we jump into the initiative, we, we've got a note on here. And I, I don't want us to spend too long doing this because I, I don't think it's going to be... I think it could be separate episodes. I don't yeah. want us to, to chase these rabbits. But let's talk... It's worth if, bringing it up here real quick. Yeah, so let's let's at least mention some some heresies, some misrepresentations, some deviations from orthodoxy regarding the Trinity. Um, in some way, it could kind of be narrowed down to one of two things. Either you are denying the one being or you're denying the three persons right like in some sense that's probably any tweak or change or you know deviation and this has shown up for 2,000 years I mean this is but where what what misrepresentations do we see most often and what do we need to be aware of just as we think about the Trinity yeah practically speaking chances are you're probably going to have some Mormons knock on your front door right okay and the argument that they're going to bring is that God, Christ, and the Spirit are all three separate gods. They are their own being. They are their own essence. It's not one God, three persons, but it's three gods. Right. That's tritheism. And uh, clearly, we reject that as far as Orthodox Christianity is concerned, but they'll try and pick apart and pull verses here and there from the Old and the New Testament Scripture to try and show that there are three gods, mm. okay? But we need to be aware that that is a gross misrepresentation and a gross interpretation of those particular texts. Yeah. Of course, we stand on the rock of Scripture, but not only that, a proper interpretation of that rock. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Again, I find myself saying that a lot, by the way. Just, I'm just glad you said that <laughs> um, because we've talked Boosting about— Boosting my confidence here. Hey, some, I mean, somebody's got to carry this thing. I, we talked about proper hermeneutics early on, and we've revisited that over and over as so we opened up the text. But that—a a proper hermeneutical approach and a cohesive systematic— um, a cohesive systematic a- approach to the text is going to allow us to formulate the doctrine of the Trinity as we just did, which now safeguards us against the concept of three gods because we see, as we established earlier, there is one God, right? Like we made that case early on, Deuteronomy 6, uh, Isaiah 43, mm-hmm. Isaiah 44, like those texts where we, John 17, where we spoke of the Bible says there's one God. So in order for us to properly interpret, we take the clear passages of one God and the clear passages of three persons, and we put them together and formulate our doctrine of the Trinity. Like, that, there's no other yeah. way to do it without abusing the text. Right, and that's the consistent approach that yes. we're going to work and run through look, this entire podcast. Right. 
that's the only way that we can approach Scripture. Um, okay, now, so give me another one, another yeah, so, misrepresentation. So you mentioned the three gods. Well, on the other side, the most common misrepresentation the other way is something that has traditionally been called modalism. Um, it shows up in oneness Pentecostalism. Um, we've mentioned T.D. Jakes before. He, he would hold to this view, which basically says that there is one God who just appears three different modes or three different ways. So there's not a... So it's kind of morphing into yes. one at a time. It's like Superman going into, like, it's, it's uh, what, what's his name? What's his <laughs> Clark name? Kent. Clark Kent. And he goes into the phone booth and he comes out and he's Superman. Like, that's, that, it's almost like that's how God works. That's like, actually a pretty good illustration. I, I wish I had known his name, but I didn't, I didn't have it off, offhand. That one's good. So, like, it, it, that, it's almost like God the Father vacates heaven and comes down to earth as the Son and dies on the cross real quick. And then he's got to run back up to heaven to call him out of the grave. And then he runs back in the form of the spirit. Like that is a complete misrepresentation yeah. of, of what scripture says. And if you would just interpret the baptism of Jesus and the mm-hmm. Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. in Matthew 17, that you can't come to that conclusion right. based on those two texts. Or so the there high has priestly to, prayer in yes, John 17. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another great one. Yeah, so you have to do gymnastics, like like you've mentioned before, to get around those passages to then come to this conclusion right. that we've got Clark, Clark Kent on right, our hands. You know? Right, right, um, and, and And in reality, these heresies or these... I mean, we see it today in Oneness Pentecostalism. We see it today in Mormonism. But this has shown up for 2,000 years, and the church has tried to guard itself. So it's important for us to really understand and develop a firm biblical doctrine of the Trinity, um, which is, by the way, completely unique to Christianity. You're not going to find anything like this in any other religion. Islam, deviation, Jehovah's Witness, deviation. Yeah. Man, you can even throw Scientology in there. They talk about Jesus. That's right. Right? Yeah. They have a place for Jesus, but he's not part of the triune God. Right. And that's what we have to understand. So we, this is an incredibly important topic. We have done a very brief touching of it, right? Like we feel good about it. I I think we've done, (laughs) I think we've done the minimum, right, for approaching the Trinity. And we have to do these things in order to build our doctrine. And I want to come back to it one more time. One God, one being, one essence, one substance, three persons in the form of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each of those persons being fully God, being fully divine, but being distinct in role and function within the Godhead. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's is that good. appropriate? No, you that's, feel good about that's that? great. I'll okay. kick off the initiative. For yeah, us. let's you know, yeah let's wrap we're this. We're running up. out of time here, um, but I, I would think I, I'm, I'm going to give two things here, and I, I've mentioned them already in this episode. One, a consistent hermeneutic. Okay, mm-hmm. just because something um, as, seems on the surface like it couldn't work out, or it may be difficult to harmonize. We don't want to throw that thing out the window. That's good. Okay, so mm-hmm. we want to be consistent, again, in our approach of the study of the Word of God, and that's going to help us land on consistent biblical doctrines or consistent biblical interpretation of mm-hmm. text. A cohesive, tr- systematic. Yeah, right? absolutely. The, the Trinity uh, being an example of that. And then secondly, I'd add real quick that it's okay to be uncomfortable. Mm. It's okay. Like you may be uncomfortable about the Trinity. You may be uncomfortable about the hypostatic union. Um, we could pick 
out other things from Scripture um, that bring an uncomfortable feeling upon first glance. Take that, continue to invest, continue to search, continue to study the Word, and let the Word be the teacher. Mm-hmm. Let, let the Holy Spirit do what He does, illuminate yep. the Word of God, right. and change your heart and mind. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm glad you said that because <laughs> uh, that leads me into my my initiative for today, and that is, as you mentioned, the the just kind of that uncomfortability feeling, like uh, I'm just not sure what to think about this. Well, the mystery of the Trinity is actually a really good thing, and I would say that the it, that incomprehensibility should actually drive us to worship. Mm. Like we bow down before the Triune God and say, God. I admit that I don't fully grasp it. I trust your word. I trust what you have said. I trust that this is who you are. And I worship you because of it. Yeah. Even though I don't, I yeah. don't really understand. I mean, I do, but I don't because there's a mystery to it that doesn't quite. Um, I can't quite wrap my yeah. brain around it. But I'm comfortable with that and submitting to God and saying, "Thank you for showing me this." Because otherwise, I wouldn't have. I couldn't have known that. I can't see that from general revelation. You have to have said it in your word, and I worship Him more intensely because I am so humbled by my insufficiency. Yeah, I mean, we can worship God, worship Christ. That's right. And the Holy Spirit, because right. all three are. All, all, all three. All, all three are God. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this thing up. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and and to our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.